Becky. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to apologize for the lag in our normal episode schedule. We've been working reopening the building safely and are short-staffed, so we've fallen behind on editing our podcast. We appreciate your patience and hope you enjoy this episode on laziness and attention. Hello, and welcome to your show. Or mine. I'm Becky, Becky Standle, Youth Services Librarian at the Longview Public Library. I'm Austin. Austin Breakdown, the administrative assistant at the Longview Public Library. <laughs> I didn't mean to say it like that. I know. Um, welcome back to the podcast, Austin. Thank you. Today is St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day. We are recording, and we will be talking about two books about... Work. Work. Work, life, rest, all that yeah. stuff. So the uh, we were talking about Laziness Does Not Exist, which is a new book that came out in January by Devin Price, Ph.D. And, and the other book we're talking about is, is How to Do Nothing, Resisting the Attention Economy by Jenny O'Dell. Slightly older book. I think it's 2019. But before we get into that, do we have any updates about what's going on at the library, perhaps? Um, we are still open. We are. We're open now Monday through Thursday, 10 to noon and 2 to 4. Our drive-through hours are the same. Drive-through hours are Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, 10 to 2, and Tuesday and Thursday, 1 to 4. Taps Aid has been very busy Fridays and Saturdays, and, and this announcement's been made elsewhere, but I'll make it again here that they are now full up. They've filled all their appointments through April 15th. They are very busy, and we we are very glad to be able to accommodate the wonderful work that they do. So yeah. a little shout-out to AARP Tax Aid. Yeah, it's such an important service that they offer, and they worked so hard to still be able to offer it this year. They did. Um, and you're all volunteers. They're amazing. They are. They are. So what else do we have going on? The Seed so Library is underway. Uh, you can go onto the Seed Library page under Adult Programs on our website and browse our Seed Catalog. You can request up to 10 packets per uh, library card holder and pick those up in the drive-thru. So it's very exciting. And then we are also, so we're gearing up for spring, but we're also gearing up for summer. And I'm really excited how things are going right now. makes me very confident that we'll be able to offer in-person outdoor story times for summer reading this year. So it's very exciting. Very yeah. Excited. Yeah. On that note, I should say too, that uh, I'm working on a, a slate of speakers for the, the seed library, seed library presents. Um, we're going to have a lot of interesting topics that touch on all different corners of the plant world. And it's very possible that some of those may end up being outdoor presentations as well. So that's coming down the pike, too. Okay. So we just took some time off. Yeah. And that funny twist, 
I think of things that are like ironic. So I used my vacation to <laughs> read some books about like rest for work. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, I think this is the point in the podcast when I, I have to I have to make a confession. I have to level with the people here. I didn't finish either of these books. And I'm just, you know, but these books inspired me to just be honest with y'all and say it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I was sitting on my vacation like, God, I got to make myself get up and read this book about laziness. Um, <laughs> but uh, and also- I, I, I enjoyed, listen, I enjoyed what I read of both of them, but I didn't finish them. And that's okay. These are crazy times. So I'm looking forward to finishing both of these books. And you've also been reading How to Do Nothing on and off for a couple of years. <laughs> no, no, no. Now, it has not been a couple of years. And what happened was, I so, so Jenny O'Dell uh, is an artist. I don't know what you would say, sort of a conceptual artist. And I had listened to her speak on a podcast called Long Form that I really recommend if you like nonfiction. It, it, they talk to long form journal, journalists, creative nonfiction writers, and I just loved her on there. And so I kept starting this book, but I kept putting it down because I really wanted to give it my full attention, ironically. Um, and my full attention kept being nowhere to be found. So I just kept starting it, and then, of course, something else would happen. But I love it. It's it's really good. The title's called How to Do Nothing, but really the book is about attention and not about doing nothing. It is sometimes about doing nothing, but... It's about a lot of things. Yeah. I think I was just things. saying that I think the subtitle is more about what the book is about than the title is. Yes. Yes. One of the ways that, that she advocates resisting the attention economy is by doing by doing nothing. But nothing is very very particular. It's not necessarily nothing. It's nothing by sort of capitalist productivity terms. That doesn't mean doing nothing. That might mean bird watching as she talks about. She talks about. a lot about bird watching. You know what I mean? So, so the nothing is not, when she says nothing, she really means it. She, she, there's a lot of defense of things that our society would think of as nothing. Unproductive, unmonetizable mm-hmm. time. But the laziness book is much more about just like honest to God resting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in my mind, I think of them as like the attention book and the laziness book. Yeah, yeah. But although it's interesting, uh, from a writing standpoint, I like Jen, I, I find Jenny O'Dell's book a lot more interesting, but I liked the, um, the laziness book. It is, though, and we've talked about this, a much more straight up self-help book. I mean, I'll, it's a self-help book that I think goes against a lot of things that other self-help books lean into against societal right. pressure. Uh, but it's still like it's got the conventions, you know, it's got the like self-help books always have some term that the author invents, whether it's needed or not, and then capitalizes through the whole book. So it's like the laziness lie is always capitalized. And it's like, I don't know if it warranted its own term. It's not even that interesting of a term, but it's very much a convention of the self-help book to like invent some term. Right. Well, I think that's just part of the editorial process. Probably. So this book also, so you heard about Jenny O'Dell's book on a podcast, yes. and then I had first heard about this laziness book also on a podcast, and it was actually Caroline Dooner's podcast, The Ethic Diet Podcast, and I talked about her uh, work with Shira a little bit last last episode, 
But she had Devin Price on, and they talked about just the idea of laziness and work and rest. And Caroline's perspective is all through kind of diet culture, and so that's mostly what they were talking about. But they were just really jamming on all kinds of things. It was a really, really good conversation that they had. So after I listened to that, I went and pre-ordered this book. Mm-hmm. And it's not as exciting as it was when I listened to them talking <laughs> about it. <laughs> yeah. This oh, So I laziness mean, does not exist really. Like the format of this book is through a bunch of case studies, kind of. Yeah. Um, so like this person, this was their situation, and this is kind of how they realized that they had to take a step back from what they were doing. Right. Some really and severe situations. Really, I mean, yeah. Like people's health declining and them having to be like, oh, God, I'm working too much, mm-hmm. and really turn their life on a dime. Uh, I found those interesting. I should say, you know, I was poking fun a minute ago at self-help and stuff, but I don't want to knock the book. I, I, I'm a big believer in not sort of like knocking a book for what it's for not being what it isn't trying to be. (laughs) And so I should say, like, you know, I think that it's true that this is a pretty straight self-help book, but I'm not knocking it for being that. I think that's what they wrote or what they set out to write. So, right. And it is, you know, I think if they went to the publisher and was like, I want to write this book and I want it to help people, I think this book will really help people. Yeah, and it's written, you know, there's an argument of approachability, right? Because these, this is the kind of book people, a lot of people love to read and are very used to reading, mm-hmm. but it, but it takes a different angle than so many others that just lean into, uh, I don't know, be, be more productive, be skinnier, mm-hmm. be richer, be, you know, all those things. Uh, yeah. No, I've read, so I follow different, I think this Raincoast Books that posted this on their Instagram the other day, and they are a, like a distributor, and it was a book, oh, let me pull this up. Did you finish both the books, Becky? I am on the, uh, like, epilogue, um, oh where they're God. talking about compassion, and I do You're think that's, <laughs> well, I, so I have, like, five pages left, six pages left. I really fell down on it this time, but I'm forgiving myself. Yes, good, good. And I feel compassion towards you and there forgive you and also myself. Um, oh my gosh, this is getting so emotional. Um, <laughs> oh, so this book that Raincoast Books posted on their Instagram is called I'm So Effing Tired. It's by Amy Shaw. And because we're reading these books on this topic, I was like, oh, this seems like it's on this topic. But then I read the subtitle, which is, a proven plan to beat burnout, boost your energy, and reclaim your life. And I was like, oh, yes. it's a diet book. Well, that's interesting because I think in both of these books, insofar as I read, they they both take care to not – to be like, listen, we're not telling you these things as a, like, as a hack like a, or an optimization. Like, they're both like, we're not trying to optimize here mm-hmm. in the way that you're told, like, Oh, rest so you can be like more productive later. Like I really, both of them sort of, you redefine what productive means and what the values are that should animate a life. And I, I found that really compelling. Yeah. But, and both of the books do talk a lot about values. Yeah. I love very early in the book. She introduces this symbol, uh, Jenny O'Dell. 
introduces this symbol of the rose garden in Oakland. And I, and I love one of the things I think she does really well is there's a lot of philosophy in here. And we had talked about she's very like referential. She refers to a lot of things, which I found very exciting. You know, you could take off from this book in a million different directions to so many other people's works. Mm -hmm. But one thing I thought she did really well is marry that philosophy to really tangible things in her life, like really particular things like the Rose Garden, the Oakland Mother's Day contest, the crows and the night herons in Oakland. I thought it was quite good because it's kind of a counterpoint to some of the more highfalutin ideas. Her book is one of the ones I think that sometimes I'll find a book like this and I and I read it. And I'm like, this is like a like a syllabus. Well, you can, like, yeah, like, you can certainly take off and read Rebecca Solnit and read. Like she and there's a lot of good back matter. I actually pre- always appreciate some nice back matter, and both of these books have them. So yes, she references a lot of things. A lot of writing, philosophers, artists. Mm-hmm. But she also has this real intimate stuff about that, about things like the Rose Garden and bird watching. Yes, of her own experience. Uh, her own experience. Um, her experience, which I think is really interesting because she's like a kid of Silicon Valley. Her dad's some sort of an engineer um, and she's, you know, biracial and that comes into it a little bit too. But the Rose Garden stuck with me. Anybody at the library will know because we have a Rose Garden. You know, that's a bit, a bit run down at this point and, and we're contemplating rehabilitating it. And that's sort of a passion project of mine. And she really talks about, I think in really interesting ways about spaces like that as, you know, common goods, avenues for a different kind of attention. And I mean, roses are a good metaphor for that too, because there's nothing optimized about roses. You know, they take like all this maintenance and care and like, there's nothing sleek and optimized about a rose garden. Yeah, and I like the, the time that she spends talking about, and I almost wish she'd spent more time talking about the values of care and maintenance yeah. um, versus, you know, like producing new things. And there's like like a devaluation in our culture of the work that it takes to maintain something um, and how that is often seen as not real work, and I think that's gendered in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Um, We've talked about that a lot in the pandemic, you and I, yeah. about how much our country runs on a lot of that work and how much so much our society runs on that work. And it's just not seen mm-hmm. um, even at the library. You know, we talk about yeah. the work of our, the, our wonderful friends group mm-hmm. um, and the pandemic has often like disrupted some of that work, the work of volunteers. Uh, yes. And the work of o- older people, yes. unpaid people. Yeah, and how there there had been conversations about the economic worth of these groups of people yeah. who who like kind of quietly almost dedicate you know hours every week of their lives to maintaining our communities. Yeah, and and you run up against the limits of the metrics, right? Mm-hmm. Of the economic metrics, what are you know GDP and and some of these metrics are able to measure, which is you know a real thin slice of Mm-hmm. life. I thought she did a good job talking about that a little bit. I mean, and again, like marrying it to the Rose Garden and to that, that Mother of the Year contest in Oakland, which I, I yeah. really liked that. So Jenny Angel talks a lot about bird watching. She talks about conservation, bioregions, and how if we think of ourselves as like part of a bioregion, it can kind of change our yeah. our 
thinking about how we uh, relate to like other animals and plants and not just like a political communities that are only just people. Right, right. It's interesting. She mentions libraries too. And this book seems to me like something a lot of library nerds, librarian type people would enjoy because it has a lot of the values of librarianship in it. Yeah. I tagged it in my Goodreads. I have a librarian's library tag, which I used to know books I think librarians would like. And I did tag it. And she mentions it a couple, you know, she doesn't Mm -hmm. go into it a ton, at least in the part I read, but she mentions libraries as one of the spaces like that rose garden where nobody asks you to buy anything and nobody's, you know, nobody's working an angle on you. And, uh, mm-hmm. and it's a commonwealth, you know, one of the vestiges of the commonwealth that remains in our society. And there are fewer and fewer as the world of money and, and profit has encroached. She also talks about practicing good attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and she talks about certain kinds of art like, I can't remember who that composer is who would compose, you know, really long breaks of silence. Yeah. That. Is it John Cage? Yeah. So she talks about John Cage and seeing something of his performed by, like, a symphony and having, like, the moments in the beginning where people are trying to take it really seriously and then having the audience kind of break and just take it, you know, for what it is, like, laugh a little bit, enjoy the... Yeah. The thing and how, like, leaving something like that, like an art exhibit, which makes you see things differently, or a musical performance like that, reframes the world. So she talks about walking home after seeing this symphony, and how all of a sudden she noticed all of the ambient sounds around her that she never really noticed before. Yeah, yeah, she does a really good job of talking about the value of that kind of art. Like, Mm -hmm. she talks about that other event that guy did where it's the sunset, right? But they treat it like an they treat it like an event. Right. Like they have all these people uh-huh. come in and then they're seated and then like they watch the sunset and then they applaud and there's refreshments. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> she talked about something too, and I can't, I'm not quite sure where it was, but she talked about she talked about how the granularity. I think that was the phrase she used. The granularity of her attention changed when she started to know the birds, and that I thought that was really good because that's exactly the same as when I started learning. Plants, it's really true, you know, how the roadsides were just sort of a blur of brush or whatever, and now it starts to become all these familiar faces. Yeah, a friend of mine took a birding class when we were in college, and then after that, anytime I was with her, she would be always pointing out birds, and I feel like that was, I don't know, that was a long time ago, and I still, I still, from her experience learning about that, notice those kinds of things more and i think from like walking with you and spending time with you i also notice um, plants plants more yeah it's interesting she does a lot of of that of course i feel like i'm that way about dogs sure sure look there's there's a dog she does she does a lot of that though and she does i guess now that you frame it like that talk a lot about different ways that things change your attention and i think it's interesting it dovetails to what we do a little bit because reading does that too yes yeah. Uh, in a in a really fundamental way, I think. Not even necessarily in terms of oh, I mean it could birds or plants, but also just people and mm-hmm. life. And you know, George Saunders talks about you know reading really good fiction, and it like you know makes you more compassionate, you know, for a minute, and then you know it goes away, and then you have to read more, and it opens up again, and and that it's always sort of that stuff opens you up to the world. 
but you got to do it all the time because that's just mm-hmm. the way we're wired. And in this laziness book, they talk about that kind of towards the end, too. Um, and this is part of – it's just a small section where they talk about the diet industry and a little bit about how they had a history with disordered eating mm. and overexercise. But talking about shifting the attention from, like – and you can do this yourself very deliberately from just what bombarded at you through, like, advertisements and, and stuff – to making sure that you are paying attention deliberately to more diverse things. So, like, via social media, you can change your Instagram feed so it features different-looking people in it than you might see if you were just following the biggest influencers sure. or, or just noticing targeted ads. And how how adjusting your attention to, to pay attention to the things you think it's more important to pay attention to reframe how you see both other people and yourselves and it helps build compassion both towards other people but yeah. also towards yourself yeah you feel like you're not just seeing people and like so much that we see online is so fake you know it's yeah posed and airbrushed and edited and there is this problem people talk about especially i think with young people see these things and they don't know that they're not real right and then they feel bad about themselves that they can't meet these impossible standards of things that they're seeing. Yeah. And I think there is an issue. And I think Jenny O'Dell's book does talk a little bit more about how this is a problem of our society that could be changed and be made better. And Devin's book, Laziness Does Not Exist, kind of is like it exists and these are the things like you can do to help yourself mitigate that. And that's this last section that I'm reading in this laziness book is called Compassion Kills the Laziness Lie, mm. which I think is a really, it's a nice sum up of what it's all about. I don't know if you have any passages in mind from that book, but I, I definitely have one I had marked here. Let me see. The Odell book is very dense with stuff. I mean, it's very like, she, she packs a lot into it, mm-hmm. but. I like to take pictures of... Um, I just take those crazy notes and leave them at work. <laughs> I take pictures of, of book pages because I'm like, I like this quote, and I don't want to write it down. Um, I took a picture. This is from Jenny O'Dell's book, and it's about from towards the end. But mm-hmm. it's a quote she puts in there from someone else's book. Yeah, she quotes a lot of people, which I like. Mm-hmm. I actually like. I mean, I've definitely read books where I was like... If, the, if I didn't think the writing was good of the author and they quoted a lot of other people, I'd be like, can we just dispense with the author and just read these other people? Give me a in, this case, yeah. in this case, I like her writing, so mm-hmm. I, it doesn't bother me. But in other books, there were definitely like writing books and stuff, like especially books about writing, where they would quote writers from their work. And I'd be like, can I just read that? And what's kind of cool I think about that's this what you book. should do. Yeah. <laughs> what's cool about this book is like she... It's almost like she's like, I'm going to study this topic and then share with you the experience I had of studying it. Yes. And she's a teacher. And I think that comes out in this book. It does seem like very much like a book written by a a teacher. But, okay, I'm going to read a little piece of it. But there's like a part I want to cut out in the middle. An ellipsis. Is that what they call that? Yeah. So it says certain people would like to use technology to live longer or forever. And then I'm going to ellipsis. And then says, to such people, I humbly propose a far more parsimonious way to live forever, to exit the trajectory of productive time, 
so that a single moment might open almost to infinity. As John Muir once said, longest is the life that contains the largest amount of time effacing enjoyment. Of course, such a solution isn't good for business, nor can it be considered particularly innovative. But in the long meantime, as I sit in the deep bowl of the rose garden, surrounded by various human and non-human bodies, inhabiting a reality interwoven by myriad bodily sensitivities besides my own, indeed the very boundaries of my own body overcome by the smell of jasmine and just ripening blackberry, I look down at my phone and wonder if it isn't its own kind of sensory deprivation chamber. That tiny, glowing world of metrics cannot compare to this one, which speaks to me instead in breezes, light and shadow, and the unruly, indescribable detail of the real. I just really like that, because we hear so much about overwhelm, right? The world of social media overwhelms us in information and media. She's sort of saying, well, actually, maybe it's kind of meager mm-hmm. next to the the richness that's just right there, you know, mm-hmm. if you if you want to look at it or experience it. Yeah, when I read that part, too, it made me think of, like, what Hillary had said about um, Parable of the Sower or kind of about yeah. science fiction, about what she doesn't like about science fiction is that often they're about using technology to, like, escape the world's problems. And right. So, to, like, solve them or, you know, kind of be more of the world. Yeah, yeah. And and often, you know, like, I think Hillary often emphasizes, Hillary Strobel, councilwoman, <laughs> friend of the podcast, often emphasizes that often along with that comes a lot of injustice. And, of course, if technology is solving it, usually it's solving it for those fortunate enough to mm-hmm. afford it. These books give you a lot to think about. Yeah, yeah, and then does make me think a lot about work. Yes, how you spend your time. Mm-hmm. How you think about your time. That's another, not just how you spend it, but, you know, I think a lot about spending a lot of time either anticipating things or regretting things or, like, in your head. Waiting for things, yeah. Waiting for things. Then waiting for the next thing once the thing happens. <laughs> yes. I mean, I'm a particularly in my head sort of person. Maybe that's a trait of a lot of us bookish people, but. Uh. Mm-hmm. One of the things that kind of like Shira touched on last, last week when we were talking about diet culture was how a lot of that, that work done by like activists in that area has been like, appropriated by the diet industry. Yeah, big time. So diets are like constantly saying that they aren't diets. Yeah. Uh, but also, so I think wrapped in the cloak, seen, yeah, wrapped in the cloak of like all the language of mm-hmm. anti, yeah. Seen a lot of, especially it seems like in the last year throughout the pandemic, a lot of uh, like the concept of self care and taking care of yourself be real yeah. taken as a way to advertise products. <laughs> yeah. Actually, one of the things I really appreciated about laziness does not exist is it was published in January and they talk specifically about. The pandemic. Yeah, it's very fresh. Yeah, yeah, it's like really relevant. But they talk about how how people have taken this idea of self-care and brought it into like advertising. And now people think of it as things that you buy, you know, like bubble bath or like. Yeah, no, really. But really it's about taking care of, of yourself and your time and what's important to you and not about pampering or like spa treatments or, or yeah, or at least not about that in, you know, like real money capitalist kind of sense where it's mm-hmm. like, 
you can fake yoga or you just buy something. Yeah. Because, you know, I think what these two argue for a lot is sort of giving yourself permission, you know, say to rest or giving yourself permission to like have time that doesn't produce anything for the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the incubation, they talk about incubation and the fact, especially creative work often requires time like that. But yeah, the self-care thing is interesting because I feel like people fought, a lot of people fought a long time to sort of get it to be taken seriously. And, you know, like my sister loves Audre Lorde and Audre Lorde has that mm-hmm. quote about self-care, the famous, you know, I don't know it by heart, but I think a lot of people will know what I'm talking about, uh, about it being a form of, act, you know, sort of activism. Right. Political act, especially depending on who you are uh, for certain groups. But I think you're right that that it can be sort of co-opted by the marketplace a bit. But it's also, you know, we've talked about this. It can be weaponized or sort of used as a way to blame people for their own. Do you know what I mean? Like instead of addressing systemic systemic things or things that need to change in a community or a workplace or anything like that, it can be like used to suggest, you know, blame the person. Oh, you just need to improve your self-care. That's the laziness by TM. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes, exactly. And and then, you know, I'm obsessed with this academic librarian, as you know, Katrina Kendrick Davis. She studies low morale and different things in libraries. And she talks a lot about resilience narratives for certain professions that are considered noble, which I think that's a big thing during this pandemic. A lot of professions that were considered noble, you know, are sort of, or vocational awe, I think was the other one. But yeah, how that, how that stuff, which is sort of positive, can be used a little bit against you. <laughs> right. So if you are experiencing like burnout or overwork, then it's like your own fault for not having taken care. Yeah, I think you have to be really careful because I think, People, certain kinds of people can, can end up using that to blame other people, you know, to, you know, or to put things on them that are really about fixing bigger things, mm-hmm. you know, because self-care is, is, is important, but it's only one piece, right? So what do we have coming up on the podcast? What's on the horizon? Well, you are doing a poetry month takeover. That is correct. Okay. April is, it's well, it's not quite a takeover, but. April is coming, um, and that's National Poetry Month. Um, I'm very excited. Some of y'all remember the poetry videos from last April. We're going to do a poetry episode of the podcast. Uh, me, Becky, and Chris are going to read some poems, and uh, it's just all going to be about poetry. Hey, we're doing Get this, them. everybody. <laughs> we're going to reread East of Eden, a big blockbuster of a book. I loved it when I was young. It was really important to me. Finally going to reread it. I'm a little scared. I'm a little excited. So if y'all want to get a copy and, and, and read in anticipation of that conversation, that would be fantastic. Yeah. I read East of Eden after college and I think it was, I've been thinking a lot about, a lot about reading too and like, I think with these conversations about work because reading is so much of my, job yeah a lot of work that i it's like i have to do it for my job but um it's not the time it i spend doing it is all unpaid i have been the last few years the part of several different awards or um as a volunteer like a professional volunteer spend my time reading these books and saying if they are worthwhile or not for librarians to buy for their collections or recommend to young readers and 
I was thinking, especially this year, have to make some adjustments to the way that I read because of the volume of things I have to consider. And I think it's going to be a lot of, of not finishing things. And so I studied literature when I was in college. I did a lot of reading, and I don't think I finished hardly anything. <laughs> I think the one book that I really, unless I was sending, like, it was an intense class where we spent, like, almost the entire semester reading this one book, there are very few books that I read in their entirety. And part of that is because the nature of doing, like, a, a really broad survey course yeah. is that you're just reading lots of parts of different things. But also because I was the kind of student, and this laziness book talks about this, like, Devin's like, I was this kind of student. I was this kind of student. I did college in three years. I worked 24 hours a week making pizza. And I always took the maximum course load. I was taking like 18, 19 credits a semester. Usually I would take like three English lit classes and then a foreign language and then sometimes a dead language. Wow. I think about that, Becky, and I was like, oh, like she should have just taken her time. <laughs> right. Anyways, but my point was like after, after I finished that, I was like, I'm going to just finish books now. And yeah. The first book that I read and finished after college was East of Eden, and it just left such an impression on me. It's, a, it's an amazing, yeah. That makes me think that talking about the volume of reading, it makes me think about how I think people sometimes have to be in the world of editors and magazines and, and stuff, which I was, you know, sort of tangentially in for a minute, where sometimes it just has to be almost like you don't finish it, but it's like, you have to really trust your judgment because sometimes mm -hmm. it's like, if this doesn't hold me for this mm -hmm. long, I, you know, I'm just going to move on that judgment. Yeah, and it's kind of since then, since that experience of reading East of Eden, where I have had the sense that, like, I just want to finish everything that I start, and I don't necessarily, um, especially, like, this last year. I left a lot of books unfinished. But it was really, like, a goal of mine almost that every time I started a book to just, like, see it all the way to the end. Yeah. And kind of realizing the last week, especially reading these two books that you have now famously left unfinished, <laughs> that, you know, it's okay. No. It's okay well, it is just... okay, too. There's a lot of books. And sometimes yeah. it's like, especially, I think, in your personal reading. And I think it's good to have a balance of both. Because, like, I really enjoy these conversations, which usually make me finish books that I'm, mm -hmm. you know, I might not have picked up or finished. I think you need some of that in your life. School was really good for that. Um, I think it's good. Book clubs are good for that. But also, there's so many books and you have to sort of follow your bliss on them. You know what I mean? You sort of have to, life is short and you sort of have to be like, you know, this book has carried me through it and this book isn't. And that's okay because I got, I got other things to read. But it makes me think too, this was a difficult year. And I, part of why I decided to be okay with coming on the podcast having only started these books. Which I think is okay. I mean, I feel like maybe maybe some of y'all in the audience will start these books too, and and we'll be reading them at the same time. And I like that. But this has been a crazy year. This has been a difficult year, and it makes me think. And these books make me think about sort of being kind to yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a therapist once. You know, I said therapy's great. Y'all should do it. I had a therapist once, and she would frame things. She would talk about sort of being kind to yourself and sort of taking a step back and framing things in terms of. You should give yourself the gift of that time or you should give yourself the gift of doing that thing. 
and how we we get so many messages, you know, from from our families, from society, from work, from everywhere. And it can be very easy, I think, to lose the voice in yourself that that tells you what you need and what you want and, and substitute, you know, like some of the people in these books who are working so hard. And, and at the end of the day, they figure it's not it's not about them. You know, they're not doing it for themselves. They're they've mm-hmm. taken in some message about what they need to do. And so I, I think it's really nice to have this conversation after the year we've had, because I hope we come away from it more able to be kind to ourselves and and step back and, and wonder why we're doing what we're doing, cherish things more, let go of other things that maybe we weren't truly doing for the right reasons and be able to extend that to other people. But of course, as many people have said, I don't know how well you can extend that sort of thing to other people if you can't extend that sort of mercy to yourself. So There's a really interesting point closer to the edge of this laziness book, I think past where you left your bookmark when you handed it to me, where Devin's talking about this argument that they had with a friend of theirs who's like really into activism, spends a lot of time posting on forums and reading this stuff and doing the research and trying to get people to like really care more about things. Yeah. This argument that they had about the environment and like climate change and how frustrated this friend was that it seemed like all of the people that they knew, no matter how much they cared or said that they cared about this issue, were unwilling to take personal steps um so they you know they would like the issues of plastics for example talk about how awful plastic waste is but do nothing personally to reduce their consumptions of plastic and this argument that they had with with devin who about how much of a difference making those personal choices like can make and people feel really powerless around these really big issues to say like well i could do it but what what would that matter anyway since i might as well you know, not. Right, right. And then Devin talks about when the pandemic hit, what they saw was a lot of people, even before they were required to, making personal decisions to, yeah. like, help, you know, slow the spread of the virus, to help their neighbors out, and yeah. how all of those personal decisions really did make a really big difference. Yeah. And so they ended up emailing their friend and saying, like, I'm sorry, I spent so much time arguing with you about this. You're right. We can really make a difference just on these individual levels, even when it seems like the problem is so overwhelming that nothing we do would matter. Yeah. And I thought that was such a nice, really, like, relevant point to make, too. And that's a lot of what I really liked about this book is they, they give a lot of those examples from the past year. Yeah. Of like things that we've learned or they've learned. Yeah. yeah. The pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, the timing, I think the timing of this, this reading is really important. And I, I'm obviously going to finish these books, but I also think, you know, there's a lot being written, maybe not on the exact same subject, but on the same cluster of subjects, you know, as I've been looking at the new, and I'm sure you have too, looking at the new things mm-hmm. coming out. These were not the only books in the span of time that have been written on this subject or similar subjects. Yeah. Um, I read uh, Having and Being Had by Eula Biss, hey. which was a very interesting book that, that dives in more to money, uh, the money part, of, and then having and possessions and, you know, um, from Eula Biss's standpoint, which is, you know, from sort of going from starving writer to like a tenured professor who's like knock on wood doing 
pretty well and like confronting a lot of her belief systems. Um, but I know there's other, oh, what is that book? Work won't love you back or work. Yeah. Uh, that's coming out or it's count, it's, it's here or I want to continue reading on these subjects because, um, yeah. And I was talking to a friend the other day who's experiencing like, like, like stress related to overwork and just like a lot of the similar thing where it's like you care so much about something that you want to put the work in kind of past your ability to do it. But right. we were talking about there are conversations about how like so many people working from home has kind of stretched the boundaries of, yes. of your work time. But yeah. then we were also talking conversely about how it's also made it apparent to to people where your your life used to be really compartmentalized. Yeah. That your your life isn't just that thing. Yeah. So I was talking about there was a picture book that came out recently um, about a little girl who sees her teacher in the grocery store and mm. thinks, like, what is she doing here? She belongs at school. And so she tries to, like, trap her and Uh-oh. take her back to school, which is, I think, a thing that, like, a lot of kids used to think about their teachers. Sure. They didn't have, you know, that they were just a teacher. They didn't have anything else going on. But I don't think that's the case anymore because yeah. of the way we've had to teach and work in the last year is kind of let more people into like the rest of our lives. And so like if I'm doing story time from my house where you can see like this is the room where I work and these are my dogs that I live with really kind of like breaks up these, these boundaries and it can help in some ways for people to see that like your life isn't all about just being, you know, a worker in this place or yeah. just a teacher or just a parent. Yeah. It's kind of like arbitrary almost. Right. Divisions. Like divisions between different parts of our lives. Yeah. I and feel that like, can be good too. I feel like it can be good and bad. They yeah. sort of, they sort of go both ways. I think Jenny O'Dell talks about too. And she uses like the gig economy as a, as yeah, a big example yeah. of like, but I think she also touches on, uh, you know, the advent of more technologies that allow a lot of workers to be, like, connected to work while they're at home. You know, I mean, she's writing pre-COVID, but, but you know, already there's, like, people are checking Slack from home and their email and whatever. Um, and she starts, but in the gig economy, she starts, she talks about how all your time can start being these monetizable chunks. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like you said, yeah, on the other hand, you can start being seen as people, you know, beyond your your profession. But on the other hand, you know, maybe in a time when it was more separated, you had a more complete kind of rest when you left. Right, for sure. That's one of the things that I find really refreshing, especially lately, when I have time off, is when I'm able to do something that reminds me of some other identity Mm -hmm. that's not my job. Yeah, and I do think it's really up up to all of us to kind of choose what we want to have, like, gotten out of this year we've had to spend living really differently. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. And I think especially, you know, it's been such a terrible and it's been such a roller coaster of of different expectations and ever-changing projections of what the future would look like from moment to moment. Um, And now we're in a moment where it seems like the recovery, at least medically, is escalating quickly and we're adjusting to that. And it'll be really interesting to see See what happens. See how people respond. How much people go back to old habits and how much people, how many things get carried forward. Changes and, or even changes in people's personal lives. I've definitely thought a lot about that. What I miss and what I don't miss. 
about the way I lived before the pandemic or the way I spent my time. I think I overbooked myself a lot, and I don't know that I want to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there will be more pressure to do that. <laughs> but, yeah, you know. and I also think there are ways, too, where it's like, then, like, I would have really taken just, like, the ability to go and see somebody for granted. Yeah. No, it's you, those are the kind of things I think, you know, cherishing. Like, that I hope, you know, people are notoriously quick to sort of forget, you know, as soon as it's, something's not in front of them. But I hope seeing people, just real simple, you know, stuff like that, being able to go see music or be in a crowd, you know, that, that sensation of being, you know, sort of enveloped in a crowd and an atmosphere in a way that we've, we've stayed away from atmospheres, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the in the part of of the Jenny O'Dell book where she talks about suddenly really listening to like the sounds of like people and cars and stuff around her, and I've noticed that it's this in the library since we've opened and we haven't been busy, but people come in and say it's so quiet in here, and I'm like, <laughs> to me having like two people in the building, it's loud. Yeah, because <laughs> I've really that you know I've really gotten used to it being so quiet. Whereas before, I know people think of the library as being a quiet place, um, but it isn't. Just the sounds of other people being around you all of the time. Like, I've forgotten what that's like, you know, almost. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. And it's like nothing else. That's been true this whole time. I mean, I mean, this is true all the time, I suppose. But in particular moments, you feel like you're you can sort of feel history happening, mm-hmm. you know. Like, most of the time we're sort of not aware of it. But this is a, such a strange thing that nobody, practically nobody alive has any reference for, at least where we are. And that's very different. But, but we have a lot to look forward to. We have a lot to look forward to at the library, in the world, on this podcast, <laughs> East of Eden. East of Eden. Yeah. That, that oh, is a awesome. crazy Maybe we good should, book. Um, we could break the book in half and do two episodes. You don't like that maybe, idea. Maybe, maybe. I'm really passionate. I'm really passionate about the like idea. Frowny face. <laughs> of, of, of encouraging folks to read along with us. Um, mm-hmm. You know, especially such a big book that you really get in the world of. But I, I'm not going to talk too much about East of Eden because we'll, we'll have lots of time to talk about East of Eden. You should watch the movie, too. I've never seen it. Oh, yeah. James Dean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. In the meantime... Spring is here. It's well, sort of. It's trying. It's like sunny and very cold, but colder than it's been all winter. A faltering, a faltering spring. I'm gonna get out and see some wildflowers. That's what I'm very excited about. Yeah, I got chicks. Oh man. <laughs> oh man. I had some chicks last weekend. They're just chicken. Cheap, chickens. Away. Yeah, chickens. baby chickens. Yeah. Baby chickens. I've seen them. They're they're really cute. Yeah. They're really cute. They're growing up so fast. I was, like, checking on them. Uh, yet when I cleaned their little brooder yesterday, they didn't like that. It was very stressful for them. But they're getting their little tail feathers down. They grow up so fast. Oh, yeah. It was only five days ago where they were just born, basically. <laughs> so they yeah. were like little fluff balls. And now they're going to start looking like real birds. Mm-hmm. Now they look like birds. Well, Austin, do you have any final thoughts on these books about rest or laziness or how laziness isn't real or the things you should pay attention to oh my gosh i think i've given enough thoughts i think i'm empty of thoughts and now i'm gonna go rest (laughs) rest and have some lunch have some lunch yeah me too well thanks for being on thanks for reading these books with me it's always a pleasure it's always a pleasure and thanks everybody you've been listening to your shelf or mine
I'm Becky. I'm Austin. Bye-bye. Bye. Support for Your Shelf or Mine comes from the friends of the Longview Public Library, the Longview Library Foundation, and listeners like you. Your Shelf or Mine jingle is written and performed by Megan McKeldery from A Song for You. Find Megan online at ReverbNation.com slash Megan McKeldery. That's M-E-A-G-H-A-N-M-C-E-L-D-E-R-R-Y. ReverbNation.com slash Megan McKeldery. So, hours of the same. Uh, so far, so good. the Zoom. So far, so far, so good. It's been very nice to see people. Um, 